Okay. How are we doing? Good afternoon. Wow. Not said that for a while, right? Yeah? It's been a little while since we've done two meetings. But it's good. It's good to create capacity. It's good to create room for new people to come in, be able to connect, find their home amongst us, and uh, explore who the living God is. And uh, as we journey through the Galatians series, we're exploring the attributes of grace that we want to find at the core of our community, that establishes us as as who we are, that we know that it's all been done for us, that we can't add to anything through our own righteousness, and that we stand firm in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing added of our own effort. Not a thing. And uh, we're using this brilliant artwork that Ben's created. Can we just give him another thank you? (laughs) To try and capture the concept that Paul is reaching for in Galatians, what he's fighting for. The Apostle Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia, this area of land, there's multiple churches. And he's having to confront something and deal with it. And uh, it's a bit like, it's a challenge, it's a head-on challenge to both the foundation of the gospel, but also the life of the community of God as it grows. And he wants to make sure the foundations are right, make sure that it's not built on something that's false, and keep central the attribute of the Christian life, which is about spirit empowerment, not conformance to a set of rules and regulations. So hence we have on this slide the spirit's freedom forming our thinking on one side or lawful slaves being put back into bondage to adherence to rules and regulations on the other side and how those things are counterposed, how they're opposite to each other. Now, the title that we're looking at as we go through this series is Offensive Play. Now, offensive can be one of two things, can't it? An adjective in this example, that it causes someone to feel resentful, upset or annoyed. In the example, the payment of their huge debt by someone else was deeply offensive to me. It may be even that Somebody had wronged you and somebody else stepped in to set it right. And the person who actually did the problem in the first place, who committed the foul play, seems to get away scot-free. Grace is offensive. It can resonate in us as wholly countercultural. The challenge as we pass the football of grace between ourselves because we've received it from God. We've been given it. The challenge is, okay, how am I going to play this? Am I going to be able to pass this on in life? 
am I actually going to be able to receive it myself first? Or is it just going to bounce off because I feel I've got to earn something to know the lavish love of God? Or am I able to catch it, hold on to it? Go, yeah, man. He's done it all. Nothing I need to do. Absolutely nothing. Now I'm right with God. Now I'm right with him. Now what do you want me to do with this grace? Where do I go now? Who do I pass it on to? How do I run with it in my own life? Knowing that this is the thing that shapes me, that makes me, that marks me. I've received the grace of God. Where's the freedom you want me to run in? See, for Paul, this grace was utterly, utterly incompatible with now saying, right, here's the grace of God through Christ. His death on the cross pays it all for you. But by the way, add something. Add a good work. Add an action. Add something for righteousness because you're incomplete without that added thing. Let's take a moment. Do we add anything? How's my week been? Am I still utterly the object of God's love? An affection, am I found righteous in Christ? That's a fundamental spiritual reality. That if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we shall be saved. In other words, the covenant comes into play now that through our death and then subsequent resurrection, we too are resurrected with Christ. It's done. I'm waiting for that day when the wrath of God and judgment for all my wrongdoing goes, not on you, Al. It's been dealt with through Christ. Come home. Come on in. And so Paul talks about the righteousness yet to be received. I'm about to step into that righteousness in that day when it's all given to me as I stand before the throne of God. And in this moment now, we have the deposit the down payment, the first payment, which is the Holy Spirit in us that cries, Abba, Father, as Paul explains in his letter to the churches in Galatia. And it's this that we want to hold on to and live from and that outrageous, powerful grace that we get rather than stepping back into legalism. Is there anything that we're saying to ourselves I've earned access to God this week I've earned intimacy with him this week because of my right behavior or the opposite I can't be close to God this week because of x I can't be with him because of what happened 10 years ago I can't be with him because of what happened five weeks ago I can't be with him The fundamental reality, the spiritual reality we live in is one of he has done it. 
now what? Not what can I add, not what can I do, but now what? And Paul's fighting for that. So it can be offensive to us when we see grace given. And it can be hard to receive sometimes ourselves. We need to allow the Spirit of God to let us know. That's why he cries, Abba, Father, in us. That barrier that we once had between us and God has gone. And now intimacy is available. That's the principle. A close, intimate relationship now. Whereas before, only distance and a sense of judgment and fear. It's resolved. It's gone. Shouldn't be existing in your life if you're in Christ. Offensive also as a noun. It's on the attack. Grace is at the sharp edge of the kingdom of God. It's the fundamental premise on which we're saved. But it's also how the kingdom of God extends. As we extend both the grace of God to fill our lives. But we also pass it on to others. So what I freely received, I freely give. And it changes life after life after life. I wasn't expecting that. I expected to be rejected. I expected to be judged. I expected to be you know, pushed out. But instead I received grace. So in our lives as we seek to extend the kingdom of God. In our worship. Daily. It's an extension of grace. In our family. In our workplace. With people that we interact with on the bus or in the street. It's like yeah how can I play grace. How can I let the love of God be passed on today through me? Now, we're going to look here at Galatians chapter 2, 11 to 21. And we're going to focus in on a particular attribute that was having to be dealt with by the church there, by Paul, and why he wrote to the church in Galatia. And I'll just read through these verses. This is Paul writing to the churches. And he says this from verse 11 of chapter 2. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with them anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the, on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw they weren't following the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws, put them all to one side, and are living like a Gentile, i.e. no longer living under their rule and reign, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? Why are you adding the law back into them again? He goes on, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. In other words, the Gentiles didn't have the law. And because of that, they were deemed sinners by the Jews. 
So you're not a sinner like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. He says, come on, come on, Peter, we know this, right? We've got this down, right? Surely this is fundamental. And we've believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in him, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Now, this is caretaker coach. He's temporary. Now, Paul talks about the guardianship of the law over people's lives, like a child growing up in a wealthy household. He might have a guardian who looks after him until such a point that he's old enough and mature enough to run the house. So it's not giving the keys to the Corvette to a nine-year-old who's going to put it straight in a wall. It's about, okay, I'm going to put a guardian over you who's going to look out for you. Now, the law acted like that, Paul says. It was a guardian. It was there because the nation of Israel kept on messing up and they didn't know which way to go and how to live because they refused to get close to God. When Moses went up the mountain, when Moses interacted with God, the people went, you go, we won't go, lest he consume us. It's like, ah. It was always this, you have the relationship with God for me. We'll stay back here. It's based on fear. Now, the caretaker coach, the Old Testament law, was given to give guidance. How the game should be played. What, what, what should we be doing? How do we, how do we play the ball? How does life work? But it pointed to the fouls. It pointed to the errors. But it had no power to change anything. It was powerless. And so the people heard the law, and as Paul says, it gave birth to sin. Why? Because you now understood what it was you were doing that wasn't right. Okay. But there was no way out of it. And so you become a slave to it, because it demands that if you break one rule, you've broken them all. And so now you're a slave to the law. I've got to perform. I've got to get this all right. Otherwise, there's no opportunity for righteousness. Get it all right? Fine. Live, live on that basis. Approach God on the basis that you've got everything right. You've never sinned. You've never offended God at all. But it's impossible. For no man can fulfill all the law. And then Christ comes... And he fulfills it perfectly, completely on our behalf. So the caretaker coach is pushed to one side. Thank you very much. Push the law aside. He's the new coach, the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus says, even the spirit of truth who will lead you into all understanding and he'll guide you, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside and enables us to live the life. And Paul goes on, which we'll explore in future weeks, about how the Holy Spirit produces his expression of Christ in our lives, the fruit. So it's a completely different dynamic. Adherence to rules and regulations, gone. Dynamic life filled with the Holy Spirit, in. I'm now being enabled, empowered within to transform and to change.
Now, the context that Peter and Paul are dealing with is this player-manager religion, the self-appointed ruler of all things, right? So religion steps into the context and adds complexity. And as Jesus says to the Pharisees and the leaders, the religious leaders at the time, you're just adding stuff, you're adding burdens to people and you're not giving any finger to lift it off them. Not only do you need to tithe, but you need to give a tenth of your herbs and your spices and, and, and now you need to not help your, your neighbour on a Saturday, you know, on the Sabbath, because that's work. Or you can say, oh, I've got my money set aside for God. It's Corbyn. It's a religious structure which absolves me of supporting my parents in their old age. I've set it aside for the Lord, which doesn't mean I'm actually going to give it to God. I've just made it inaccessible to help my mum and dad. But it's a religious mindset. And so religion develops and sets apart. You've got the ball. Well done. (laughs) Run with that grace. Go, go, go. So the religious mindset starts to put frameworks of control and management around the truth of God. And so the self-appointed player manager comes in, humanity comes in, and goes, right, let's add more rules, let's add more regulations, let's create expectations. And you see Jesus time and time again interacting with that and breaking it down. I'm going to go have a meal with those guys who you lot reject. I'm going to allow the unclean to touch me. I'm going to step into a challenge, a direct challenge, on why you believe that you can reject somebody from the temple rather than bringing them in and inviting them in. You've got grace. You okay? Don't allow that to fall on you. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing, right? What is, what is going on in the culture? That's it. What's going on in the culture? Sorry. The culture is, we have an expectation that we formed culturally about what's supposed to happen, right? That's the challenge. Yeah? It's fine. It's fine. It's... Yeah, I mean, as you say, Gareth, it's, a, it's an example, right? Now, what's the example of grace in this situation? Or do we allow a religious context to shape our thinking and what's acceptable and why that's acceptable and what ought to be happening? It's difficult, isn't it? Because we can so easily, I mean, on one hand, there's practical reasons why we do stuff. But, on, you know, so we don't have Sunday school in here at the same time. <laughs> but there isn't also a culture which says, oh, no, that's embarrassing or, oh, dear, or that's not acceptable or whatever. See, religion creates a culture where what happens is we manage and measure each, ter- each person's externality on how they conform to this picture that's created. How are you conforming to that picture on a Sunday morning? Does everything look clean, tidy? My life's sorted. We're all good. It's all fine. 
Whereas the reality is we've got all sorts of challenges, all sorts of stuff. And I think Paul sees the slippery slope here. Not only is it outrageous, I mean, he uses, I mean, in the NLT, it's like very wrong. I mean, you're adding to the work of Christ on the cross. That's very wrong. But I think he can also perceive the slippery slope, which is into the religious mindset, which is starting to try and get its hands around the church, which says, no, you've got to look a certain way. You've got to behave a certain way in order to be accepted. That's challenging. Because we all do it. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all, you know, put everything out there in a public setting because that's not actually healthy. There's good emotional, healthy, relational boundaries that actually cause us to function well psychologically. But we need context of reality and fellowship in our community where we're known and we know. Because it's those vehicles that the Holy Spirit uses for the different gifts in the body to minister to one another to find freedom in Christ. There's a plug. Okay, starting this Thursday. Freedom in Christ. So we want to be able to make sure that as a community, we don't get trapped into appearance or shame or guilt or performance or whatever it is affecting our relationships with one another and thereby creating a false relational context. We worship Christ in spirit and truth. So we're fighting for freedom. And we have to be eyes open and aware of it. I have no idea which verse I finished on a minute ago. But I'm going to go from 17. But I suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ and then we're found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of the law, I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. I stopped trying to... Yeah? It's hard, isn't it? Because we're so entrenched in our thinking that conforming behaviours create our right relationship with God. But it's been done. And so I, know, I now no longer go through my week thinking, what have I done, haven't I done? Was that successful, wasn't that successful in terms of moral right living? And as Paul says later on in Galatians, actually I want to keep in step with the Spirit in relationship with him with my eyes on Christ, in worship, in discipleship, and going, what do you want me to do today, Lord? 
And actually, the, the Spirit's empowering and indwelling changes me, conforms me into Christ and gives birth to his fruit, which we'll see in later weeks. So I've now no longer got my eyes on myself and whether or not I'm achieving this list of right behaviour. That's gone. My righteousness is certain. Now I think, okay, how do I walk with my father? It's a different dynamic. One of the key things that stops us is fear. And one of the biggest fears is other people. Edward puts this down. We fear other people because they can expose and humiliate us. And we fear other people because they can reject, ridicule or despise us. And we can fear people because they can attack, oppress or threaten us. Now, Paul writes in this letter that Peter was afraid. Verse 12. Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on following the law. Now what's happened to Peter? I mean, this is Peter who bullishly says to Jesus, no, you're not going to the cross. Who steps out the boat and walks on water who on the day of Pentecost stands up and preaches from Joel and lets everybody know just what they've done wrong. You crucified the Christ, the risen one. And in front of the whole of Jerusalem. What's happened, Peter? What's going on, man? I don't know whether Peter was struggling with his theology He writes later on, doesn't he, in one of his letters, you know, some of Paul's stuff's real hard to, hard to understand. You might get your head around it if you've got some of his training, but all in all, honesty, I'm just going to have to park it because I don't really get it all. Maybe that's it. Maybe he feels like people's judgment of him, he might get exposed and humiliated because he hasn't got his doctorate in theology down. But he's Peter, right? The one who walked on water, but also the one who denied Jesus. The one who's been asked to build the church, but he's got an imperfect backstory. And now he's afraid of these folk who seem to have more knowledge than him and are telling him, no, you've got to add something to the work of Christ. And something's gotten in, some sort of fear has gotten into him to make him start to change his mind and his behaviour and respond in that way. Just take a moment with those three and just ask Holy Spirit to identify to you which one of those would be most poignant in what causes you to respond to the world in the way you do. We've all got life stories. We've all had experiences. 
of these things, right? But in the church, one of the biggest problems to discipleship and growth in Christ is the fact that we get locked down into enclosed prison walls of self-protection because we don't want to get hurt again. Or we don't want to get exposed. Or we don't want to get humiliated. Or rejected or ridiculed or despised. And so fear becomes the controlling attribute of a Christian community moving forward because we're unwilling to be authentic and open enough to allow the spirit of freedom and healing to be ministered to us and step out in it. It's why pornography remains a significant issue for both men and women in the church because it sits behind a veil of shame and guilt and proclaims you will be rejected, you will receive shame if you talk to anyone about this, however privately. It's why so many fear to pray out in a context where they feel their spirit rise but think, I might not have the words, I might, I might stumble, I might not get them all right. It's why we struggle to share message with our co-workers in the high street or in the bar or in a cafe because we fear the rejection of somebody if they know that we're a Christian. The fear of man, the fear of others in all these different ways shall not and will not have greater sway than the Holy Spirit in the church. But we need to give ourselves to him because he is kind and gentle and he'll work with us as we say, Holy Spirit, come work in me, transform me, change my life. So that's the challenge that I see as being most poignant for us in this community. How do we step into the Spirit's freedom that he wants for us? How do we see fear of man pushed aside like Peter was struggling with? And how do we step into the Spirit's freedom that Christ won for us where we don't have to add anything of our own effort we don't do internal weekly assessments on whether I'm good enough or not to come before the king. But we come under that umbrella of grace, freely and empowered. We can cry, Abba, Father, even when we know that we've done stuff that offends God. And then he cleanses us because we, we confess our sins. And what does the scripture say? When we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's faithful and he forgives us. We move forward and on. And the sin no longer becomes the focus, but he does. Jesus becomes bigger than people. Jesus becomes bigger than ourselves. And Jesus becomes bigger than the social context we're in. And my heart for us as a community is that each one of us might know and see Christ as greater than anything else but that's an inv invitation into love not a journey of work and striving Proverbs 29 25 the fear of man will prove to be a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe 
the very thing we fear and what orientates our behaviour is actually going to harm us and hurt us and trap us. It's a snare. But if we trust in the Lord and we see him as enormous in our eyes, he will keep us safe. He is the antidote to fear. Do not fear, for I am with you. It's a constant refrain through the scriptures. We've got Stephen M. Pidd coming on the 15th of October. They've had 20 plus years of truth encounter ministry with people in and outside of the church. They've got a website full of testimonies of both physical, emotional and spiritual healing. And they're going to be doing training with us on the 15th of October. And then they're going to be available in the following week uh, for ministry time, but also any further training that we can organise. We'll be speaking at the end of this series on the 16th of October. Can I encourage you to get that 15th of October in your diary to do this training with them? The training not only equips us to minister to others, but it also creates the freedom and the context for our own world, our own journey and our own freedom that Christ has bought for us and that we can enjoy. So they bring amazing testimony, amazing ministry. Um, let's have that as a, a focal piece in our mind. Um, this evening we've got Sanctuary. is on again. We've been running that for about a year, an opportunity to be with God. Just to rest in his presence. We've had young people in the middle of the hall here, just with instruments worshipping. We've had a single instrumentalist. Or we've had nothing. But it's an opportunity to come just as you are in the grace of God and spend time with him. It's from seven till nine. And it's just come and come as and when. Come from seven to seven fifteen or come from seven till nine. It's a free flow. But the aim is to spend time with him, to go deep, to put our roots down into the truth of who he is and rest ourselves in him and be found in him. So that's this evening, and you'll see the adverts up on the, uh, on the screen at the end. Should we pray together? Lord, we, we want to see you high and lifted up in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. We want to see you as who you really are and see everything else submit to that picture. We thank you for the grace that we've received and the freedom that you've brought, Jesus. And we ask by your spirit that you would bring greater freedom to us as a community, that you would break off fear of man, the break off a fear of one another that causes shame and guilt to rule and reign. But instead, you break that off this community and you enable us to walk into the freedom that you've got for us. That we would indeed be free. Holy Spirit, we give ourselves to you afresh today, stood on the sacrifice of Jesus. No other righteousness. Enable us to walk by your spirit this week in fellowship with you. Not measuring ourselves or one another, 
for holding on to the grace that you've and passing it glory.